You're listening to a 9to5.cc podcast. Welcome to the Drink to Think podcast. Have a seat. Please enjoy. Hello and welcome to Drink to Think, the show about alcohol, cocktails, and how a drink might be able to make us better people. Today's episode is going to revolve around the cocktail, the Red Eye. A very simple cocktail. Basically, it is a glass of beer and a shot of tomato juice. Though, if you want to get a bit more technical, it is roughly 12 ounces of beer to 3 ounces of tomato juice. Though this cocktail is very simple, chose it for today's episode, is that we get to talk about beer. Possibly one of the most interesting alcohols out there. Beer has done a heck of a lot for us. As always, this episode is going to be sectioned off into three parts. The history behind the alcohol, or perhaps a cocktail. Then moving on to a small piece of fiction. Once again, we will be using the manga Bartender for that piece of fiction. Excerpts from it to give a little bit of an idea of how this drink could be used in a social way to help someone out. And then the third part will be the tasting of the beverage. Also in the beginning, we're going to be dividing this into three parts. It is going to be what beer has done for society or some of its history behind it. Then we're going to go into how you make beer. Then we're going to talk a little bit about the differences between beers. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the history of beer where it comes from, and what it's done for us. You may be surprised to find that uh, beer has done a heck of a lot. And of course, some of these things are still theories, but they do hold some weight, so uh, might as well talk about them. One of the most interesting things, at least I find, is that beer may be responsible for ending nomadic civilization. So in Mesopotamia, around 3000 BC, which is reputed to be one of the first or the first civilizations, beer had a lot to do in the agricultural revolution. There's a theory that beer may actually have been what made people settle down. They used to think it was bread, and there are still anthropologists who do believe this, but it may have been beer. Because what they found is there was a lot of barley in Mesopotamia, which could obviously be used to make beer or bread. But the reason they think beer might have been one of the big factors is because when brewing, you can't really move around a lot. To sort of stay in one place, because it takes, well, depending on the type of beer, sometimes about three to five weeks, possibly a little longer or shorter, to brew it, and therefore you weren't, people are gonna, aren't going to walk around with giant jugs of water on their back while being nomadic and moving around. The evidence is that 3000 BC, they residue from ancient jugs containing beer stone, which is a residue that can only come from making the beer. However, the earliest alcohol in the world, I believe, seems to be from around 7000 BC, and these are jars in China, which uh, contain rice meat. So one of the things which beer did was to make beer on a large scale, people would have to grow large amounts of barley, which would make people sedentary as well, because you know if you're going to grow grain, pretty much anything, it takes time. So you can't just wander around hoping that you're going to find grain. It's much more efficient for you to create it. And it's also kind of odd. Uh, it's always been a bit of a mystery why the agricultural or why people move from a nomadic life to an agricultural one because in nomadic societies it seems that people 
roughly only worked about four hours a day, you know, foraging or hunting. So in general, their life was pretty easy. I mean, obviously there's quite a few problems with life back then, but in general it wasn't that hard of an existence in terms of labor. So it is thought that beer was one of the reasons because obviously it has, you know, a nice effect. People, when they imbibe, they enjoy it. And this would be something that could convince people that this is a good enough reason to settle down because they want to have access to this product on a regular basis. Now, a second thing that beer may have been taken a very large part in is the first form of writing, which I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, is a cuneiform or cuneiform, I've heard it pronounced both ways, um, is one of the first forms of writing and was a record-keeping system of writing. That is, it's not really there to, you know, make poetry or novels, but it's there so people can keep a tally of what, who owes what in the society. It sort of does make some sense that the first forms of writing would just be for these practical purposes, because, for instance, storytelling was passed word of mouth, but if, you know, you're just relying on one guy or whatever person to keep in mind how much is owed. If there's not a written document, then disputes can happen. And also a person can forget. And, you know, uh, human memory is quite flawed. So it's just a much easier way, especially when you start doing it on a large scale, to have a system of writing so, you know, people can go and check and say, okay, no, this is how much you owed me and just make society run quite a bit smoother. So the want for beer may have spearheaded both the first forms of writing and even mathematics to make recipes and for the understanding of how much, you know, beer was owed to a person for this much amount of labor or whatever they were trading for, and that is still in Mesopotamia. Now, we'll move to Egypt. Egypt relied heavily on beer as a form of currency. Uh, there's evidence that it was used to pay pyramid workers, so, the, so then beer does play a role in the creation of those ancient wonders. And also, one of the main gods of Egypt, main gods of the Egyptian pantheon, was Ra, god of the sun, love, and beer. In my research, I couldn't find much on Ra being a god of beer, but there is a story where he saves humanity from extermination by giving beer to another god, so a god who is going basically going to go and just massacre humanity, but Ra gives this god uh, some red-colored beer, which the god thinks is blood and drinks it, but then gets drunk and it's like, well, you know, uh, whatever, let humanity keep going, because I'm drunk and I just don't care about whatever I was going to do to destroy them. So, Thanks, Beer, for that. Joy that we're still here. Probably one of the most interesting things that I found out about this is there was a mystery for quite a while. When they did the analysis of Egyptian mummies and analyzed their bones, they found large amounts of this antibiotic called tetracycline. The strange thing is that this is a, quite a modern antibiotic and was found or created or discovered, I guess rediscovered, uh, in 1948. And from then that point on, tetracycline has been used as an antibiotic to heal quite a few sicknesses. And the weird thing, since this was found in the bones, they were wondering why this, this could happen. Did they have access to such incredible technology back then? You know, were they able to synthesize drugs? They found some old Egyptian brewing recipes, and once they found some brewmeisters who were willing to make it in the traditional way, they found that the beer itself actually created tetracycline. So in ancient Egypt, drinking the local beer actually was extremely good for your health. So uh, once again, beer did kind of save society by letting the Egyptians uh, live longer lives, proliferate. And so once again, thanks, beer. Moving further into the future, but still not present. In Middle Europe, beer played an important role as water in cities or larger villages became polluted rather quickly due to, you know, all the people living in one area. 
but the process of making beer cleans water. This makes it a safe beverage to drink at a time when water itself was not particularly potable. Quite a few facts about beer, but I'm going to start cutting it short. Pasteurization, which we all know or think of as connected with milk, and the germ theory of disease, one huge aspect of modern medicine is the germ theory of disease, that we know that it is tiny germs and bacteria that cause sickness. So the germ theory of disease and pasteurization owe itself to beer. It's because Louis Pasteur, the inventor of pasteurization, was trying to figure out why beer occasionally turned and become distasteful or you know, sour when your beer turns. That is where he learned about bacteria and eventually made the connection that if beer becomes bad from these little guys in the water, then do people become sick from these things as well? Pasteur was actually quite correct, thinking that way, and he was actually studying beer at the time. So if not for beer, perhaps it would take a lot longer for us to have gotten to the germ theory of disease. Now, beer is possibly responsible for civilization, math, writing, health, and medicine, but it's also responsible for ice cream. Well, in a way. The first refrigeration was for an American beer company, and brewers were what funded the invention of refrigeration. This is actually because of the beer lager. So lager needs to be brewed at a cold temperature because it tastes better with a cold, slow fermentation process. Also, the lager uses a particular type of yeast, which is best to use in colder temperatures. So in 1881 was the first commercial refrigeration system made for a beer company. And without that, it probably would have taken quite a bit longer for any form of refrigeration to come into the fold. Next time you enjoy ice cream or a cold beverage, in part, it's because of beer. And lastly, in being so consequential to inventions, uh, the first mass production machine was to make beer bottles. So factory automation owes a great deal to beer. This beer bottle making machine was actually 10 years before the first autom automated car manufacturer. Sorry, Henry Ford. People prefer beer to cars. So though you should not drink and drive, driving owes quite a bit to drinking. If uh, necessity is the mother of invention, then beer is the beverage that she drinks. Next time you have a sip of beer, remember, there's a lot of history there. Quite a bit of our modern conveniences to that one relatively simple to make beverage. All right, next, let's talk about how to make this wonderful glass of the gods. In essence, beer actually only takes four ingredients. Water, barley, yeast, and hops. And that's pretty much it. And you don't even need hops necessarily to make beer. But for us to get the flavors that we're used to in beer, hops is definitely an important part of it. Beer is actually pretty easy to make at home. I've had the pleasure of making beer myself a few times, so I'm quite the amateur at it. Unlike my friend Miguel, who is able to do it from an all-grain, which means from the beginning process, I go halfway and just start with, you might not know what I'm talking about, so let me go into the making of beer. You start off with barley, and you soak it in water and let it germinate, to, or, you know, so it can start to grow. This causes a chemical reaction where enzymes will turn the starch into in the grains into sugar. But you don't want that to start right away, so you dry the barley. This is so that it can be done, it can be used later in the brewing process. Sometimes the barley is roasted, and that is, in a nutshell, what gives beers its different color. So if you wanted a stout or a porter, you'd roast the barley pretty well. But if you wanted a lighter colored beer, like a Mexican-style cerveza or a pilsner, then it would only be lightly dried. This produces what is known in the beer industry as malt. 
you can malt any grain, actually. For instance, you can make beers out of wheat, rye, or well, pretty much any grain. But since barley is the most used, uh, when you say just malt, you mean malted barley in the industry. Usually brewers do not create their own malt. Uh, more often than not, it's uh, done by a separate company that specializes in malting. The first part in real beer brewing is adding the malt to water and heating it. This creates what is called a mash, and the mash is all about turning those wonderful little starches into sugar. Then you're going to do some separating, because since you don't want chunks in your beer, you remove the grain husks with a filter to uh, extract the now sugary water from the mash, and when it's just the water is left, this is referred to as wort. Oh, and one side note, during all beer brewing, sanitizing is essential. So this, when you're doing homebrew, is one of the most tedious tasks. Uh, there are some pretty good sanitizers out there that make it pretty easy, like you don't have to rinse them out. But you do have to make sure everything is really, really clean and sanitary. The reason for this is to prevent uh, the beer from getting a bad flavor, because, you know, if wild yeast or bacteria is in it, then it can definitely make the beer sour or just, well, unpleasant to drink, or just not the sort of flavor that you wanted it. So to clean and prepare the wort, you boil it or near boil it for at least an hour. And at the same time, hops is added in to impart bitterness, flavor, and aroma. A lot of the times, hops is added in at the beginning, middle, and end to add different levels of flavor and bitterness. There are also many, many different kinds of hops. So depending on the kind you use, you're going to get some different flavors. Some beers also put in different grains in a cheesecloth in the wort um, or add some sort of grain tea to uh, give it a bit more flavor and body. Now onto the real magic of beer, which is fermentation. So you cool the wort and you put it in a ferment fermentation vessel. Often these vessels have airlocks on them, so air can escape but not enter. Uh, this is to keep the beer clean. And the reason you want the wort to be cool is because yeast is a living thing, and if you throw yeast into boiling warts, then the yeast will just die and you won't get beer, alcohol, uh, you know, you're just going to end up with some sugary water with some dead yeast in it, um, which isn't very effective when you want to make beer. Then, so you're adding the yeast to the, the cool-down wort, and this starts the fermented process. The yeast starts having a field day and goes after that sugar in the wort and turns into alcohol and carbon dioxide. Uh, this takes roughly between three to five weeks, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less. It really depends on what kind of beer you're making. And so after fermentation, uh, many large beer manufacturers will then filter the beer and put it, uh, but that's an optional process. When the beer is bottled, sometimes extra sugar is added to help create more carbonation, or carbonation can be done by machines where you, if you've ever had um, uh, a soda streamer, then you're just adding carbon dioxide bubbles into it as opposed to letting the yeast create it. And, you know, this just depends whether you're going to add sugar to it to make more carbonation, depends on what kind of beer you want or how fizzy you'd like it. Once bottled, often there is a resting period so that the beer can fully form, usually, you know, get its carbonation, and then the, all the flavors can sort of meld together, give it a bit of a, more of a chance to become better beer. But uh, in mass-produced beer, it is common that it's pretty much ready at that point when you're bottling it, it's ready to drink. And that is the very basics of how beer is made. And now going back to something I said, uh, I was mentioning earlier, when you 
do home brewing and you do all grain, you're basically making it from scratch, meaning that you will also do the malting process and then make the mash and the wort. <clears throat> but with many brew kits, you're pretty much just going to make a wort and then you move on from there. So a little less time consuming. Uh, often when you do all grain beers or doing the all grain process, you're, it's going to take quite a bit more time because it could take quite a, f a few more hours and you also would need some slightly different equipment. If you're making larger quantities of beer, you often um, need to use a vat that is so large to contain so much water that it can't actually be put on a stove because it's too heavy, so you'd need um, an external burner for it. And that's one of the reasons why all grain is, uh, it's, I mean, it's great to do, but people usually don't start off with that. And a little pro tip for those who will, if they are interested in homebrewing, uh, Grolsch bottles. So Grolsch bottles are these types of bottles which have caps already connected to them that you flip on and off. Uh, this is very good if you're going to be making your own beer and you don't want to spend money on a capper because the, the capping process is already there. So if you know anyone who has a bunch of Grolsch bottles and is going to get rid of them and you're thinking about doing any homebrew, you just you just grab them right there. So we're just going to quickly go over some of the differences in beers, and we're just going to touch upon the main topic, which is the difference between lagers and ales. The difference is between lagers and ales. Ales are fermented at room temperature, and when the yeast ferments, it actually ferments at the top, so the yeast will start floating to the top of it, where lagers are fermented at much colder temperatures, and lager yeast is falls to the bottom of the beer. This, if you're in the beer industry, sometimes they refer to top fermented and bottom fermented uh, types of beer, which they're making the distinction between ales and lager. And just to be clear, when I was talking about creating beer, I was talking about ales. So lagers, depending on the kind, can take up to a few months to ferment. You've almost certainly had both lagers and ales. In the lager category, you have pilsners, call that because they're origi originated from the Pils region of Germany. There's also box, double box, dunkels, and any beers that have lagers in their name, obviously. Lager is by far the most preferred beer in the States, so most of the beer you drink from um, your common beer companies are going to be lagers. So for ales, you have IPA, or English Pale Ale. It's kind of known for being quite hoppy. Uh, there's also porters, stouts, Belgian ales, wheat beers, and in general, most red beer are ales, but uh, not necessarily. I think that's enough time about beer. Let's get on to the story. All right, it's story time. Hope you're ready. This is probably one of my favorite stories from the series, because uh, it involves showing a little bit of kindness to a person who is down their luck. Once again, I only give part of each manga, so if you like, I encourage you to go and read The Manga Bartender. There's also an animated series out of it, uh, 12 episodes. Okay, so, once again, our protagonist, Ryu Sasakura, is working in a bar, unsurprisingly. A young man with longish hair and somewhat shabby clothes, so we can see that he's a crazy young rebel, uh, walks in the bar and sits down. As he sits down to drink a beer, he comments on how expensive bars are. Which is kind of fair from our perspective, because you find out that to order a small plate of nuts is 1,000 yen, which is roughly 12 Canadian dollars. Though it might be important to note that the bar is in Ginza, which is a rather upscale area of Tokyo. And he also mentions that he, the bar is old and dirty, but the place is kind of cool. 
he's not being super kind right now, but um, Ryu asks him if it's his first time at a bar. The young man says, yes, I've always been in intimidated by bars, and especially the heavy doors. Always feels like the door is saying, do not enter. Ryu smiles and says, well, in a way you're right, because bars are like hideouts. The doors are heavy, and the signs are small to stop just anyone from coming in. Or, that's one way you could look at it. Another way is that the door is heavy for the customers. It seals them in from the outside world so you can forget your troubles for a while. Forget your age, your job, and if you're lucky, perhaps find a bit of your true self. The door is so heavy so you can relax and forget the world outside for even just a little bit. At this, the man becomes sullen. I came here today to celebrate my last day in Tokyo, he says. I was an actor for three years on a contract, but wasn't very popular, so the contract is up, and I'm going to have to go back home to my small hometown. I always pass by this place, so I thought I should check it out once before I leave. So now I have to go home, a failure, and find some factory job and live with my parents until I die. Uh, my life is over, the man says mournfully. He then asks where the bathroom is. As he comes out, one of the other bartenders asks if he is alright, because the man looks angry, sad, and confused. The young man blurts out that he had a 5,000 yen bill on him, but he seems to have lost it because there's a hole in his back pocket. At this, one of the other patrons, who is one of the series' recurring characters, Miwa Kurishima, the lady from the first story, if you recall, chimes in and says, Oh, your life is over? You were probably some brat that didn't even try. We all have hardships in our lives, and we all press on. You think your life is so bad, and now you, can, you think you can steal from a bar? The bar comes tense, as the young man tries to defend himself, but the other patrons and bar staff look at him with accusations in their eyes. Except for Ryu. He's that it's okay, and you can just come back and pay the bill another time when you have the money. But first, please sit down and have another drink, won't you? This one's on me. The man and the patrons are shocked. But he sits down, even with some grumbling from the rest of the bar in the background. This is a cocktail that is very simple to make. It requires no ice and no shaker. But when a cocktail is simple, then it must be made with extra care, because the simpler a cocktail, the harder it is to please your customer, Ryu says while he pours Guinness and something else into a glass and gives it to the sir. Please try it. Our rebel without a cause takes a sip and is quite surprised. It looks just like beer, but there is a sweetness to it that tastes completely different, he remarks. I've never had anything like this before, but it actually tastes kind of soothing. After a minute, he looks up from his glass and says, So it's the easy things that are actually hard, huh? And Ryu nods. Later, as the man leaves, he says that he will definitely come back to pay the bill. I'll be waiting, says Ryu. Miwa comments, once the door is closed, that the bar is no place for brats like him. As Ryu cleans a glass, he responds, There are not any grown-ups here to begin with. Huh? Well, I mean, everyone grows up a little every time they open that door, don't you think? Three days later, the same customer, Miwa, who had berated the young man, turns to the bar and asks if the thief had returned. Ryu responds, The bartender cannot speak for other customers, else the customers will lose face in that bartender but I can empathize with him because I had been in a similar situation once. Well, did, you even, did he even come to pay you back? She asks. I said I would come pay it back. She turns in surprise. The young professional that was sitting near her is actually the thief, but he has had a haircut and is in a suit. What, what happened to you? She blurts out. I found a job. 
It isn't much. But I'm working hard. You were right, though. I was a brat. Thanks for yelling at me. Uh, excuse me, bartender. Could I have the same thing you served me last time? Yes, what was that trick? asked Mia. It was actually beer and tomato juice. A red eye, says Ryu. A reviver cocktail, like an eye opener, or a corpse reviver. These cocktails are meant to revive, cheer up, or give life to a person. But to me, being a bartender, sometimes seems like every cocktail served at a bar is a reviver cocktail. Because it's meant to make you feel better, whether you're tired from work or you feel lost in your own life. Now to the analysis of the story, or rather my analysis of what I'd like to pick out. There's much more to the story, but um, so we go. So what can we get from this story? Well, one is that we all have hard times, but it's important not to lose hope and to continue to push forward. And as was mentioned a few times in the story, often in life it is the simple things that are actually the hardest things to do. But on another level, you can analyze the story and see that Showing a person who is down their luck some kindness, if you do that, then there's the possibility that a little bit of human kindness can help give people the extra strength they need to move forward. It can also help you think about your current situation and reflect on it. What was impressive about the young man was that he was able to pull out the important points of what the Miwa had yelled at him, which can be very hard when you're being berated because usually you become defensive and don't learn for it. We don't like thinking about the times where people have, well, I guess, tried to put us in our place. But the ability to go back and reflect even on those unpleasant times, skill to have for sure. If we're going to connect it to the red eye, then perhaps we could connect, we could connect it like this. Beer is often bitter, just as life can be. But with a bit of sweetness, the tomato juice, you can make the bitter part easier to take. The bitter and sweet make for a more full flavor together or a more full life when you see the negative and positive sides uh, meld together and can make you consider both the good and the bad in your life. And yep, this does go back a little to the last episode with the old pal. And another thing to pull out of it, since in the story it was a Guinness which was used to make the red eye, which isn't traditionally what's used, one thing about the Guinness red eye is that you cannot tell that it was a cocktail by looking at it. It looked just like Guinness. And this might be an analogy for the young man himself on face value he looked kind of shabby and uh, seemed like a jerk underneath that below the surface he was actually a decent person with a strong mind perhaps while you have a sip of the red eye yourself take some time to consider the bitter and sweet parts of your life have you ever been helped out by a stranger have you ever been that stranger to another that can be quite hard because it leaves you vulnerable to being disappointed by people and of course you have no real reason to trust the person you're trying to empathize with, but it can also do a great deal of good. Have you ever berated another person or been berated? Have there been times when you have been misjudged or misjudged another person? Is there anything you can learn from those times? Well, whatever your situation, perhaps we can at least all agree that the world would be a little better with a bit more empathy and kindness in it. All right, well, let's move on to the tasting part of the podcast. Um, but just before that, let me mention a little something about Travis, who will be joining me for the tasting. He helps operate a Montreal charity site for the people of Haiti. If you would like to donate anything, that would be wonderful. But if you would like to help in another way, then you can just type into Google Haiti Action Montreal. And the first site that pops up should be CanadaHaitiAction.ca. When you find the site, go onto it and just look around for a minute. Maybe read an article. It's a little thing 
But if enough people do it, then it can actually help boost the site's search engine rank. Um, and by staying on the page for a minute, it helps lower the bounce rate statistic. You know, this will just help the website so that more people can find it in the future. And for all of those who take a little time out of their day, thank you very, very much. All right. Now, enough about that. Let's have a drink. Welcome to the drinking portion of Drink to Think, where we will be drinking red eyes. Joining me today is my old friend Travis, who I've known since pretty much my birth, because our parents knew each other prior to uh, either of us being born. Oh, yeah. And uh, we are not going to be trying just the Guinness and tomato juice, which, the red eye. We are going to be trying a Pilsner red eye, an IPA red eye, a Smithix or Red Beer red eye, and a Guinness red eye. Travis brought to my attention is that this cocktail is part of what's known as a um, is a reviver cocktail. Yeah, reviver cocktail, which there's the corpse reviver, which I think we'll do in another episode. And what was the other one? The eye opener. Yeah, the eye opener and the red eye. Basically, these are meant for the the morning after the hair of the dog that bit you. So this is the. Uh, so this is the regular. This is the regular. Oh, this is a pilsner, pilsner and tomato juice. You can use spiced tomato juice if you want, and usually I prefer that, but uh, right now we're just using regular, no-nonsense tomato juice. I'm actually not a big fan of Pilsner or uh, tomato juice, but that was pretty good. Yeah, so the mix of it, uh, another beer cocktail is called the Brass Monkey, which you may remember from the classic Beastie Boys song, uh, is beer and orange juice. I've had that before. Not my favorite, but hey, everyone has their, uh, has their tastes. Okay, so how much can you taste the tomato juice in here? For only I've gotten the aftertaste, but uh, not so much uh, right away. It's like kind of beer, then tomato juice, but yeah. light. And it certainly adds a bit of sweetness to it. And you're getting a little earthiness from the tomato juice, but there's also earthiness in the Pilsner. So I guess it's, it's kind of bringing it out. And I taste more of a bitterness than I think is in the regular Pilsner. Yeah, I've got the bitterness too. There it is, in the aftertaste. Mm-hmm. So, if you like your beer to be a start sweet and end a little more bitter, maybe adding tomato juice to your pilsner is good. Now, on to IPA. Uh, IPA is a very hoppy beer, as I probably said earlier in this podcast, uh, which has uh, more citrus notes, and not my beer preference, but it's purely because, you know, that's what my taste preferences are. A lot of people really like it. Um, in the creation of IPAs or Indian pale ales, you will add hops usually twice, sometimes even three times during the process. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the, um, the IPAs either, with the exception of Rolling Rock, which is like the water of the gods. So yeah. uh, it depends on like the, the alcohol percentage, I think. Yeah, and what I've found out is if something says pale ale, it is not the same as an Indian pale ale. Indian pale ales tend to be hoppier, and I don't think Rolling Rock... Rolling Rock is a pale ale, but not... Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so... It's not going to overpower you with too much flavor, though IPAs are really nice for having more body and flavor than, let's say, Budweiser, but so does water. <laughs> okay. Lots of body. Let's do it. Okay. Really getting a bitterness from the hops, and I'm not getting much sweetness from the tomato juice. He's loving it. Yeah. Like, if you can see my face right now, it's pure joy. I think it might actually really bring out the bitterness. Yeah, it's kind of just emphasizing the hops with some tomato juice in the background. 
a good red eye with an IPA, you might want to add a bit more tomato juice because the flavor would mix better. Uh, we're not going to try every single combination today, but that's a recommendation for right now. Or a PA instead of the IPA. That's right. Uh, there's some also really good uh, English pale ales. Uh, one of my favorites has to be, what is that, Granville Island, which has been just relatively recently came to Quebec, and that's uh, a very tasty beer that has no real hoppiness to Actually, it. That's a good point. I said Rolling Rock was the only one, but it's a lot like Rolling Rock. It's a really light, mm -hmm. yeah, not too hoppy. Smithics. Classic beer. Tastes great. It's a good red ale. I'm not getting much of the beer, just getting like some, a bit of the, the beer, but a lot of tomato right at the end. Yeah? Yeah, it seems to mix really well with the Smithix. So, right now, red beer and tomato juice seems to be doing its job. If you uh, yeah, have to have Corpse Reviver, then uh, maybe that's your beer choice. Okay, and on to the actual beer, or the actual cocktail that they had in the manga. I guess one of the lessons from that manga is um, the simplest things are the hardest to do, I believe I read. Or, was it? Yeah, because yeah. he's talking about how this is an extremely simple cocktail, and it's you have to do it very precisely or mix it very well to, so that the customer can appreciate it, because it is so simple that it's it's easier to mess up, I guess. Yeah, the woman who he's serving to looks so astonished. It's like he just revealed an X-Men power Yeah, that's that's one of the best things about <laughs> this, is that every single episode of that, like, whatever they drink, they're like, oh, I'm so shocked and amazed! Because he does the glass of gods. I would love to have a glass of anything from this man, because I've never had that reaction to any beverage in my life, I guess. And maybe it's just because I'm not using the exact right proportions or something. You've never been served by the bartender. No. The bartender would be amazing. Friends and get us? Yep. Completing the Holy Trinity of Travis's favorite uh, beers, by the way. Yeah. Which would be Smithix, Kilkenny, and Guinness? I love the Kilkenny. Oh, yes. Uh, that's right. Rolling Rock. Trinity, the Rolling Rock, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right, here we go. That's really interesting. Yeah. i to drink more. That, um, it melds with the flavors and the aftertaste, and it's sort of, you taste Guinnessness. Guinnessness? That's a word. Then some tomato, and then it goes back, but melds together as some sort of tomato Guinness? Yeah, that's uh, really nice. Wow, it's a shocker that tomato juice mixed with two of my favorite beers tastes good to me, but that's the way it turned out. That Guinness mixed with tomato juice is really cool. Yes. And they got to like it, but... Uh, yeah, and in the... Um, and I could almost put maybe even an ounce more of tomato juice in this just to get a bit more flavor, but um, in, in the manga... The thief, as he's called, refers to this drink as being very soothing. And, yeah, the, the tomato juice almost adds a warmth in some way. Some fast-paced moves. Um, let's see. What final thoughts do we have? Well, which one was your favorite? I'm struggling between the Smithics and the Guinness. I feel totally biased because they're beers I love, but uh, the most interesting taste is probably Guinness. Uh, the Guinness uh, Red Eye, so I'm going to vote for that one. Alright, I think I'm also going to vote for the Guinness Red Eye, because, uh, yeah, it had, the flavors seemed to, like, mix together better, and maybe that's why Ryu Sasakura, the bartender, chose to make that. The bartender. And for all of you out there, 
hopefully you drank along with us or had uh, a cocktail with us. If not, try this with your friends and, you know, if you can leave a, a comment on the website, that'd be great. I'd love to hear what all of you are thinking. And, uh, well, as always... Read more manga? Yeah, read more manga. And, <laughs> and as always, here's to you, my friends. Thank you very, very much for joining us for another episode of Drink to Think. On the next episode, we're going to be looking at the Gin Fizz cocktail. But, as a little change-up, a part of next episode is going to be about how to judge a cocktail. I hope you join us. Take care till then. Because the only socialism that's going to work now is going to have to include... Free surgery and technology. Gotta have it all free. It all free surgery and technology. You can get it implanted when you go to sleep. Yeah, they cut off a leg, put it back on one time. 9to5.cc. We're not working. Why should you? Thanks for listening.